Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey guys, this is Aaron Ivy, and I am Jamie's husband, and today I am taking over her podcast. From Slate, in collaboration with Ford, comes the new podcast, Life on the Fast Track. Cheer on three Girl Scouts as they design, build, and race wooden cars in the Ford Girls Fast Track races. We'll meet their families, use power tools, and hear what happens when girls are empowered to put STEAM principles to the test. Download and subscribe to Life on the Fast Track wherever you get your podcasts. Guys, you are listening to episode 178 of the Happy Hour podcast with Jamie Ivey. And you might have thought that you have the wrong show because you hear a man's voice. But let me assure you, you are in the right spot. My name is Aaron. I'm Jamie's husband. And uh, like I said at the beginning, I am taking over Jamie's podcast today because... My girl has written a book and it released yesterday. And so I get to invade Jamie's office, turn on the microphones, flip the table on her a little bit and ask her all the questions. Uh, She's a little bit nervous about coming in and being in the hot seat, but I think you're going to love my interview with Jamie as we talk about her book and how she kind of came to this place where she believed that she could write it and have the vulnerability to tell her own story. I ask her about simple things of how to write a book all the way to chapter nine, which I think is the most vulnerable chapter of the entire book. And if you haven't purchased the book, you need to go right now and buy the book. You can get it anywhere you buy books, Amazon, Lifeway.com, Barnes and Noble, anywhere you purchase books online, go get it now. You're going to love it. All right, guys, here is my conversation with the incredible Jamie Ivey. Hey, Jamie, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. (laughs) Does it feel weird to be in the opposite chair that you normally are in? It feels really weird because I don't know what's happening right now. And usually I always know what's happening. You seem a little nervous, like your foot is shaking. You're playing with your hands. I mean, I am nervous. I mean, I sat down and I said, do you know where we're going with this interview? And you said, yeah. And usually... I'm in charge of where the interview goes. You were surprised when I walked in with my list of questions in my hand. Yes. My computer open. Uh Uh-huh. I take this seriously. It's not every day you get to be the host of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. Well, no one's ever been the host of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey except for Jamie Ivey. And now today, it's me. Okay, I'm ready. I'm excited to talk to you about this book because I love it and I'm super proud of you. Thank you. And I got to walk alongside you as you were writing this book. So we'll just jump right in. I know. It just came out yesterday. It came out yesterday. It feels like it's been out for a while now because we've been thinking about it and talking about it. You've been getting copies here. Yeah. And I think what people don't realize too is I started this whole process almost exactly two years ago. Which is crazy. It is crazy. So then I turned in the final book February 1st of 2017. I mean, that's weird. mm -hmm. And then a whole, it takes a whole year before a book comes out. So So are you ready for people to actually get it in their hands and read it? I am really ready for it to be out. I was just telling someone um, last week, I'm doing a lot of interviews for other shows, kind of like what I'm doing right now, except for this is on my own show. And I love doing that. I really do. 
but I am ready for it to just be in the world. You know, it's mm -hmm. been a lot of, you do a lot of talk on the leading up to the book and blah, blah, all this stuff. And I'm ready for it to be out. So I'm happy it's out. Well, I am super proud of you. It's a fantastic book and I'm excited that everybody gets to read it too. Well, thank you. So uh, a couple questions for you okay. that I've been wanting to ask you um, because I enjoy reading books and I also enjoy figuring out, kind of hearing from the author, like how they landed on the finished product mm -hmm. because it's such a long process and there's so much of your heart and your soul that goes into it. So when I asked you kind of how you were feeling the other day about releasing your book, you said, name an emotion. I feel every emotion. What did you mean by that? Uh, I mean, exactly that. I like, I just got teary eyed when I think about it because I do feel every emotion. I'm super excited. I also feel super scared. And I don't know if you, under, you probably do understand this because you've released a lot of creative things into the world. Besides my podcast, this is the, only thing I've ever created that I release into the world. Mm -hmm. And so I feel really nervous about that. Like I know that some people are not going to like it. Like mm -hmm. there are some people who, you know, Justin Timberlake just released a new song with Chris Stapleton. I adore it. I love it. I think it's amazing. Yeah. The two of them together is one of my favorite combos ever. And some people are like, I hate it. So I know that people are not going to like it. Right. And that's okay. It just, I hope that people aren't mean about it. Mm -hmm. So that makes me nervous. Mm -hmm. I'm also, I believe in the message. And so I'm super excited about that as well. I think I'm excited too, because on this show, the happy hour that you're listening to right now, I think I've heard a couple of people who are listeners of the show and then they were on my launch team. So they've read the book and they said, man, we are so excited to hear more of your story yeah. because we hear you interview people all the time. Mm -hmm. And so then this is, this is my story. And so I'm excited about that. Well, your story is incredible. And I love that throughout the book, even as you're telling your story, you're always pointing people back to Jesus. Is that something that from the beginning you said that you wanted to do? Is that intentional or did it just kind of end up being that way in every chapter? Super intentional. I think the worst book I could ever create would be a book about Jamie Ivey, unless I'm dead and it's someone's writing a biography mm -hmm. about me, which I don't know that that will happen. I'll write it. Thank I'll you. write your biography. <laughs> But I think that that's, I would never want to create a piece of a book or a piece of art that was just about me, only because I just don't find myself that interesting enough that it would be a, a whole book about me. And I feel like I want every part of my life to point people to Jesus. And so we try to do that intentionally with our family and with dinners that we host. Like it's not just, we don't just want to bring people into our home to give them a good meal, but we want them to know Jesus, mm -hmm. or we want to that we want to encourage them with the gospel, and so you can do that in lots of ways. And so it was very intentional for me. And one of the highest compliments I've heard, by far, hands down, about the book is the way that it does point to Jesus in every chapter. Yeah, every single one. It's it's the best compliment about the book I can get. Mm -hmm. When did you find time to actually write a book? I mean, because I I don't know that everybody knows this about you, but you work. 40, 50 hours a week. You leave the same time I do. You get home five o'clock, 5.30 sometimes from being in your office, in your studio, working just normal happy hour kind of work stuff. When in the world did you find time to write a book? Uh, my daughter's story was wondering what I do as well because she was homesick last week and I would come in to eat lunch and she she said, where are you going? I said, baby girl, I'm I'm going back to work. She said, do you do this every day? And I said, Yes, honey, when you're at school, I work mm -hmm. every day. You know, for me, I had a really hard time 
switching gears. And so when I wrote this book, I didn't have my office that I have now. So I was in our house. Oh, that's true. Yes. And I had this little bitty closet, the office, cedar closet, the cedar closet that we turned into an office, which was, uh, I was so thankful for it for the year and a half I was in it. Um, but it wasn't really a good place to be creative. There was no vibe. There was no vibe. And just there was junk the everywhere. <laughs> it smelled like I was in the cedar woods. Um, and so for me, I went away and wrote most of my book away. So I would leave and go to a hotel for like four days. Mm -hmm. Or before I was speaking at an event, I would go in a day early and just hunker down in the hotel the whole yeah. time. And so that's, I did it in those, I had to make time to do it because I wasn't the type of person who could like work on book writing for an hour in the morning and then switch to answering emails and then switch to podcasting. I needed to do like seven hours of writing a book. You did. And you, you uh -huh. went, you went and got away. Yeah. Was that restful for you or was that challenging? Very when you challenging. Were away? Very challenging. The only time it was restful is when we wrote in Mexico. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> Which everybody uh, should go write a book in Mexico. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's not like we were in Mexico, like roughing it. No. On the beach in our but favorite you know what? town in Mexico. It's our favorite place in Mexico, Tulum. And I talked about it before. And Aaron and our friends at Garza's always tell me to quit telling people. Uh, but when we went to Mexico, we were both writing. And so we would get up in the morning and we would go to different restaurants. Different ends of the, the island. Because you, Aaron, you you could not sit at the same table with me and write. No way. Well, because the whole time you would you would say, hey, can you can you go get me a, a drink from the bar? <laughs> oh, babe, can you please go get this from the car? Um, so we were in Mexico and we went to different restaurants and we would write until about, and we'd meet up at lunch. Like three o'clock. And then we'd go lay on the beach and hang out with our friends. But yeah. I highly recommend going to Mexico to write That's books. That's the way to write a book right there. <laughs> but it was challenging when I would go to hotels. I've shared this a lot is that a lot of my book takes place 20 years ago. And so, although I don't, I'm not embarrassed or live in shame of any of that kind of stuff that I wrote from 20 years ago, but going back and writing about it and kind of stepping back into those emotions that was hard for me. And mm -hmm. you probably remember how many times did I call you and say, I can't do this. I yeah. want to come home. I'm lonely mm -hmm. every single time. A lot of times. And I always say, you said, well, you need to go get yourself together and you need to sit down and write a book. <laughs> I didn't say it like that. I said it really lovingly. You did say it lovingly, but I needed that because had you said, okay, well, just come home. Mm -hmm. Like I would have never wrote a book. It would have never been finished. And I wouldn't have ever had to enter into the hardness of it. I would have just, oh, I can't do it. I'm coming I home. I kind of got all coach on you, didn't you I? You did. I was like, girl, come on, you got this. You, you've done that often to me. I tell, I don't know if I've ever told the story publicly on this podcast, but I've shared it with friends. There was a time when I was at an event and it was the first event I was ever at where people knew who I was, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I remember this They're story. They're like, oh my gosh, I love your podcast. I love, and, and people always say, is it weird that I say to you? Absolutely not. Please come say hi to me because I, I love knowing, I love meeting listeners. But anyhow, I'm at this event and- well, I know I did share this on the show because I told Sarah Hagerty because that's whatever. So I'm at this event and I'm getting anxiety attack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I make my way back up to the hotel room and I just start bawling. bawling. I mean, I just, it was, it was one of those moments where I, I think I even took my clothes off, got my pajamas and got in the bed, like in it the middle of the of day. Crack. It was that kind of, and I called you and you got so coach on me. You were like, you need to get yourself dressed and you need to go back down there. You need to do your job. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I mean, you were kind about it, but. But this is something that you wanted to do. If and every even time I go hard, to an event and I get a little anxiety, yeah. I just need to get in the bed and cry. No, I mean, I got to work through that. Right. Believe me, people are going to be like, oh, he's so mean. No, no, I can figure that out. But there was a point where I need that. I need you to say you can do this. 
you can do it. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you do have a lot of drive to, to show up and actually work. You have drive to create things and to produce things. You have an amazing podcast. You have a book. You have an office. Where does that drive come from? And have you always had it? I don't know if I have. All, I mean, I think I've had it. I think I have had it. I think it wasn't fostered for a while. You know, my friend Jessica Honegger has been a huge encouragement for me mm-hmm. in the past couple of years. Um, I think when it kind of got reignited in me is when I tried out for the radio show. Because I did something completely out of the blue, completely out of the box. And I go from driving my kids around to school every day to I now have a job. A DJ on a I'm an on-air morning station. show personality. Yeah. And so that was that really ignited something in me where I liked working. I liked I liked outputting and doing all those kind of things. But my friend Jessica has been really encouraging me with just like that work matters and work is good and it's good to pour our lives into something. And for me, I love my job and I get to do really cool things. Mm -hmm. And I love that my job gets to encourage women, which is just a big passion of mine. Yeah. Yeah. And do you find it's hard to turn it off and rest? I'm asking for a friend. It's a trick question. (laughs) (laughs) It's really hard for me to turn it off. And I don't know why, because I often say to myself, Jamie, you're not the president of the United States of America. Right. And so I'm not running a massive company. I'm not in charge of hundreds of lives and jobs. I think I do just have a hard time shutting it off. And I know you get on to me all the time and you can, I give you permission, but I do have a hard time of stopping and resting. And that's one of my goals this year is to input more. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by input more? Well, I don't, I, I've even found myself saying over the past year, on my show a lot, I say this right here, I don't read as much as I used to because I don't have time to read anymore. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's kind of a cop-out on my hand, on my part a little bit, is because, well, it is true that I may not have the time to read anymore, but it's also true that I'm not making the time to read anymore. Right. And for me, I'm not even talking like I need to read like Twilight series, but just reading a good book or just inputting like- Being inspired by something in front of you. Yeah. And so, you know, the problem with that, which I'm learning, is that it's going to, it's hard to keep going if you're not getting poured into, you know, and people experience that in other ways. People get burnt out in life Mm -hmm. because they're not getting poured into. And so I am working on that a lot, which means for me, like I even made some changes in the past couple of weeks of, you know, my assistant, Amanda, we're also really good friends. And so there's this line that gets a little bit blurry sometimes mm-hmm. with work and texting her at 9 30 in the night when I have an idea. And I just don't think if my assistant wasn't as good a friend that I would do that because that would be not healthy work right. life boundaries right. and the people would quit. And so I've started at night. If I get an idea, I'll send her an email because then I'm like, instead you check it. Yeah. Instead of texting. But if I want to tell her something funny about my day, because we're friends Mm-hmm. I want to text her and I don't want her to see a text from me and be like, oh my gosh, Jamie needs me to do something, you know? So yeah. I'm trying really, really hard. And there, on, and on one hand, it's hard when you're like, this is my baby. The buck stops here. At the end of the day, if something doesn't get done, there's nobody to blame but me. It's you. It's me. You're the buck. I'm the buck. It- <laughs> the buck stops here, baby. That, here's what it actually means. I just Googled okay. it. It's the responsibility for something cannot or should not be passed to somebody else. The buck stops here. The buck here. stops here. Something doesn't it's on happen. You. It's your responsibility. It's, my, it's not in, nobody else is responsible except for me. You're the boss. Yeah. 
And I think I'm not building a business over here, but I think anybody that's been on the show, like Micah May was the first guest this year. Mm-hmm. And she talks a lot about just building a business and that being an entrepreneur awesome. yep. is that at the end of the day, if something doesn't go right at May Designs, the buck stops here. The buck stops with Micah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're doing a good job of that. You take it so seriously. You take work seriously and you're doing it really, really well. Um, Thanks, babe. Yeah. Okay. So I got the book in my hand. And before we talk about what's inside the cover, let's talk about the cover because the I cover know. is beautiful. It is. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, it's got this um, really cool kind of artistic, I don't know, what would you, how would you call it? What is this? Sketch. Yeah, maybe. Of an umbrella, but the rain is inside the umbrella. Uh-huh. How much did you have to do with the book cover and what, what, is the, what does the cover actually mean? Yeah. You know, the funny thing about publishing a book is that unless you're John Grisham, you've, I'm a first time author, you guys. And so- what I did with book covers is I just sent them, here's a bunch of book covers that I like that are on the market right now. These are kind of my vibe. This is kind of my feel. And then they brought me, I don't know, how many did they bring me? 10, like 10 12 yeah. mm-hmm. options and just said, hey, what do you like? And the funny thing is the cover that is actually on the book, my very first look through, I said no. Mm-hmm. I threw it in the and no I, pile. What, did I say yes or no? Everyone said yes. Mm-hmm. Everybody. I was immediately a no. Everybody around me said That's that the cover one. is amazing. It stands out. And you compared it to an author that you like. Donald Miller. No. With no. a hand on the front. Extremely loud and incredibly close. Yes. You compared it with those books that that author creates. Memoirs. because And because the covers stand out on a shelf. Yeah. And so... I ended up going with it and I love it and adore it now, even though at first it was kind of made me a little nervous and I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. I was like, why are the raindrops underneath the umbrella? And, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't design that. And so it's not like I have this amazing thing, but when I look at it, I do get the feel and the vibe that something's just not right. Raindrops don't go under the umbrella. They go Mm -hmm. on top of the umbrella. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think I walked around for many years bearing burdens, bearing shame that were never mine to carry and bear. And that's how I interpret the cover. I love it. I think it's really, really beautiful. And I think it helps tell the the story. And it's a hardback and there's no jacket, which was really important to me as well. Yeah. The book just feels great too. Thanks. Y'all did an awesome job with it. All right, guys, I know you are loving this show as much as I'm loving interviewing Jamie. But first, we're going to take just a little moment here and thank our sponsors. This first sponsor, I'm going to let Jamie do because it's about leggings and I feel like she could do this a lot better than me. Okay, I can do this one better than you, Aaron, but what have I been wearing nonstop lately? Leggings. Leggings, you guys, because you can wear them anywhere. Have you guys heard of Fabletics? It's co-founded by Kate Hudson. You may have seen it on Instagram somewhere, but they are premium activewear at a great value. Here's the deal, guys. A huge part of keeping fitness fun is switching up your workouts and just trying new things in general. So here's my question for you. Why are you still wearing the same boring workout leggings that you've had for years? Here's how you can get excited about your active wear again with Fabletics. Fabletics makes the world's best leggings. They deliver on performance levels so that you can get the most of your workout. But they're so cute, you can wear them anywhere. Seriously, go from bar class to brunch, they've got you covered. And that is the way I like to live, guys. Their leggings are available in sizes extra, extra small, all the way to 3X, and they come in petite, regular, and tall lengths. I challenge you to try these and tell me that they are not the best. Now, anyone can shop Fabletics, but the absolute best way to do it is to become a VIP member. You get 40 to 50% off retail prices, exclusive access to deals from fitness and wellness partners, and rewards points for free stuff. Every month, Fabletics releases cool new styles. It's definitely something to look forward to. So go to the website, 
check it out and decide if you want to buy something. If not, no sweat. Just skip the month and pay nothing. And you guys, some styles sell out super quickly because they're amazing. So if you see something you love in this month's collection, now is the time to snap it up. Go to fabletics.com slash happy hour today and get two pair of their amazing leggings for just $24 when you become a VIP member. Seriously, you guys, the world's best leggings. They're a $99 value and you're going to get two for only $24 when you join at fabletics.com slash happy hour. That's fabletics.com slash happy hour. Okay, I'm going to let Aaron do the next ad because he can talk about this for sure. Okay, I can for sure talk about this because all of our kids love these. This is Go-Go Squeeze. Go-Go Squeeze believes every kid should get the energy they need to explore, play, and just be kids. Go-Go Squeeze is made from 100% all-natural fruit with no artificial anything. Nothing but orchard fresh apples and other wholesome fruit all in this squeezable pouch that's ready to go wherever they go. Ask any of my kids, they'll tell you that Go-Go Squeeze is delicious. They've got over 25 amazing flavors, tastes like apples blended with strawberry, banana, cinnamon, so much more. Check out their fruit and veggie blends with veggies like butternut squash. Story loves the butternut squash. Go-Go Squeeze. So pack the lunchbox with something delicious for the kids that you can feel great about too. Go-Go Squeeze, fruit on the go pouches. Find them in the applesauce aisle today. All right, guys, here's the rest of my interview with Jamie. Um, Inside the book, one chapter that is one of my favorites is the one called Permission to be Real. And it's where you kind of start talking about how it feels like a lot of times you'll wake up and pin a letter on your chest, kind of like the scarlet letter. Maybe you pin an A on your chest for addict or C for cutter, U for ugly, D for depressed, F for failure, L for loser, M for monster, W for worthless, T for terrible. Where did you kind of get that idea? And can you talk about kind of what, what you mean by that? Yeah, so that idea, for me, it was a personal thing that I actually felt. So I, I talk about the Scarlet Letter with um, Hester Prynne and, and the book, if you read it in high school when you were supposed to, is about not how the she, cliff notes, not but the cliff notes, it. but actually the book about how she was committed adultery. And so she was an adulterer. And so they made her wear a red A on her chest mm-hmm. so that everyone would know her sin. And I mean, there are so many themes and stuff from that book that are just brilliant, but the, her sin was so grand that everyone needed to know about it. And it's, right. you know, it's full of hypocrites because no one else is wearing letters for whatever their sin that no one could see outward. And so I related to that a lot. And so I felt as though at a time in my life that I did have these letters on my chest and I felt like, everyone knew my sins, like everyone, I was found out. And, you know, I talk about this in the book and the, the crazy thing for me is I didn't, I felt that the most when I started going back to church after I started following Jesus, mm. I didn't feel like I had those letters on my chest previous to being a Christ follower actually. And so that was a really hard thing for me as well, because I would walk into church and I would feel as though I had to pick a letter. What was it? What did everyone know about me? But what I realized is that this letter thing, it was just a sick game I played with myself. Like Mm -hmm. nobody thought that about me. No one outwardly said that to me. It was just a highly insecure person of myself of feeling as though my sins were so grand that they must be able to tell what they are by looking at me. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like a lot of people do that. And also I feel like people 
kind of, they may have this struggle that they feel like it's there to bear until they die. Yeah. You know, like they've done something so bad. Like I can think of a friend who has hurt their marriage in a way that's really awful and their marriage is great and it's healed and God is moving. But if you talk to this person, something that happened 25 years ago, they bring that up a lot as if it's their cross to bear. And I just think that's, we do that a lot, you know, or if someone is an alcoholic and they feel like they just can never do anything because they're an alcoholic, God uses alcoholics. God uses messed up people Mm -hmm. to do great big things. And so a thing for me was just saying, I'm not putting these pens on anymore Mm -hmm. and you know, I'm done with it. And you know, the analogy, I find myself still doing that. We all do that. We feel as though, well, this must be my identity because that's what Hester Prince's new identity was. She's an Mm -hmm. adulteress. And so I still struggle with this. Everybody, everybody does. Someone's lying if they say don't struggle with not understanding their true identity throughout their days. Right. Um, but I think that we don't have to do that because mm-hmm. of Jesus. Well, that's so good. So good. And you talk a lot about like it being okay to be real. Mm-hmm. How, how do you think that just as churches, we love our church, um, but how do you think as churches we can be better at helping people actually be okay with being real? Mm. You know, a lot of times I'm asked, when did I start feeling okay with who I am and feeling okay with the journey that I've been on? And I can honestly say it was when we moved to Austin and mm-hmm. we started going to the Austin Stone um, because I, our church is really, really good at realizing and understanding and sh- talking about the depravity of man. And that sounds like a big theo- theologian, theological, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. But when you really get down to it and you realize that the equal playing ground that we all start on is sinful people. And so for me, all of a sudden I felt like I've been thinking I had these big, bad, scary sins that if I said them out loud, what would people think about me? Mm -hmm. And then I get to a a church who really values the truth that we are all sinful people. We all have it. Mm -hmm. And so my mess ups or screw ups or struggles they may have different consequences. That's for sure. They may hurt me in different ways, but before the Lord, God looks at us and we're all sinful. We all need Jesus. And Jesus covers all of our sins the same. He didn't need extra beatings for some people's sins. Like he covered all of the sins. And so when I started to have um, a better understanding of everyone's need for a savior, it's when I started going, okay, well, if this is true, then I don't need to walk around feeling like I have pins on my chest anymore. That's right. Yeah. Well, you kind of talk about that even more directly in chapter nine. Okay. So everybody that has read the book, your launch team, I think has read the book and it seems like most of the comments are about chapter nine, right? Does that surprise you? Mm-hmm. You want to tell a little bit about what chapter nine is about? Well, chapter nine, chapter nine is the chapter that I can get emotional about. So the beginning of this, the the chapter of, I mean, the beginning of the book, I tell a lot of things I've been through in my life and those things don't get me emotional where I'm going to cry and get upset. Mm -hmm. But talking about chapter nine, it does that for me because I share some vulnerable stuff about my life. um, More recent within the past like six years, Yeah, so chapter nine was hard for me to write because it is a more recent struggle that I get pretty open about uh, with pornography. 
Um, and I think it's something that's a good conversation to have because a lot of people would just say that pornography might be a problem for men and they might not think that women have a problem with this. And so I talk about that in this book and that was super vulnerable for me. It's actually the most vulnerable I've ever been. And I wrote it down so that you can see it. And so it can everybody be there, can so see it. So it can be there know, forever. Yeah. But it was really important for me to not just write a book about things that God worked in my life 20 years ago, but it was important for me to write in my book about ways that God continues to work in my life. And I've said this a thousand times, is that if there's something in this book, there's none of my close people that are going to read this and go, oh gosh, I didn't know this mm -hmm. because I've worked through these things. Yeah. I've, I've worked through this with God. I've worked through it with my community, with you. Um, and so by the grace of God, that struggle, it's its not going to take, it's not, well, I hope it never takes me out. It's not a daily struggle for me, but it is real. And it is something that I have to put safeguards up so mm -hmm. that it doesn't happen. Yeah. But I wanted to talk about vulnerability. And for me, that moment, I tell the whole story in the book, you can read it, but the vulnerability happened when I went to a friend and I confessed this. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't tell in the story, but I confess to you as well. So if people are yeah. wondering, yeah. but I go and I confess to a friend and I tell her, everything that transpired. Um, and so the way that she responded to me was what I want, what I want the church to be. Mm -hmm. I want the church to be in a response that says that you're going to, you're going to hear someone's story. You're going to hold it with such care and love and genuineness. You're going to point them to the gospel. You're going to speak truth into them and you're not going to think less of them. Right. And so, you know, we talk about churches doing that. I feel as though, the reason I felt so shameful walking into a church is because I didn't know how they were going to respond to my struggle. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be a person. I want our church to be a church body. I want the local church. I want God's the great, the big capital C church. I want all of those things to be places where people can come in with their mess sure, and they yep. can feel safe with it. You know, right. I mean, Jesus even says when, you know, the people are saying to his disciples, why, why are you eating with tax collectors? Why are you doing this? And Jesus said something so profound. He says, because I didn't come for the well, mm -hmm. you know, I came for the sick. And so Jesus is so for helping us be healthy and he came for us. And I want our churches to feel like that as well. Right. And I think that starts with people being vulnerable with their community. Well, you say it like this in chapter nine, you say, we all struggle and we will always struggle for as long as we're here on the earth, even as God continually works within us to show us the incredible blessings and benefits of surrendering to him in obedience. Because of Jesus, we can win these battles one at a time, day after day. But part of winning is letting others in on the struggle. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look around, and again, I can't say it enough that being vulnerable is not without consequences. It's not like I'm going to, if, if I were to do something where there'd be consequences on my life, there is more freedom actually in being vulnerable and accepting your consequence than there is without. And, you know, when we keep these things in, it's suffocating to our soul. You know, it's suffocating for us to not have the freedom to be vulnerable with each other. And also, if you look around, I mean, a lot of great leaders and a lot of people fail and fall because they did not feel as though they could be vulnerable with someone. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is, there's some responsibility on ourself. Am I gonna be vulnerable? There's also some responsibility on the people around you. Are, are, are you a safe place for people? Right. Do you, yep. do your friends feel- Are you judgy feel, if somebody brings something yes, to you? Do your friends feel as though they can be vulnerable with you? And man, I've been super blessed in my life to have, 
you know, a handful of close, close friends that I do know I could say anything to. And they're going to love me and point me to Jesus right. and tell me the truth, you know? Right. So when you think about parts of the book that were really difficult to write, the ones that, you know, brought back a lot of pain or a lot of memories or whatever, what was harder to write about that in chapter nine or the earlier stuff? Chapter when it was nine, 20 years hands ago? down. Not even a question. Hmm. Are you glad you wrote it? Are you glad you put it in here? Yes, I really am. Um, I think I was telling someone the other day. <laughs> I'm, I can't believe I'm crying. Why are your eyes sweating? <laughs> I don't know. I preach vulnerability and I want women to be vulnerable. And I felt to myself, if I'm going to ask people to be vulnerable, I have to be willing to say the hardest thing out loud. And that's the hardest thing for me to say out loud. And so, uh, yes, I am glad I wrote it. I stand by it. And I am, I am, I am proud I wrote it. Here's what I need you to know as well is being vulnerable. It's still hard. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like, and I hope that people see that too. Like, oh, Jamie makes it so easy. It's so hard. Like the fact that I know that people are opening up their books and they're going to read about a struggle of mine. That's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. That's hard. Mm. Uh, But I'm really confident in what this does to people's lives, being vulnerable. Yeah. Well, I know it'll help a lot of people. And I know that I walked through that with you, seeing how difficult it was for you to write this stuff and then edit it and feel like you said too much or so you said too little. And I think where you ended up was, um, was just really fantastic and helpful. And I wonder how many people are going to open their book and read chapter nine first. Right. (laughs) You need to go in order. (laughs) I would start with chapter one. Actually, I, I think some of the best stuff you wrote was on page, it's negative 10. Oh, you're dumb. It what are you about to with, say? It starts to Aaron, <laughs> you are truly God's kindest gift to me. Wow. Oh. Thanks. I did dedicate the book to you. You dedicated the book to me. That was a big surprise. Thanks for doing that. You're welcome. So you are turning 40 this year. And dun, when, dun, dun. Uh-huh. when I, when I look at you, when I think about you, when I think about your, just your vibrancy and your personality, I never, ever, it doesn't cross my mind that you are about to turn 40 because I feel like we're younger than we actually are. Oh, I definitely you know still feel that about us. Yes. So in a lot of ways, I can't believe that you're turning 40 and I'm turning 40. I was going to say you are too this yeah, year. Because you don't look 40. You don't act 40. Um, what are some things that you're really kind of excited about in your forties? Because twenties and thirties are way different than each other, you know, and how do you feel like forties going to be different? What are you looking forward to? Man, twenties, I didn't even know myself. I mean, I crack up that we got married when we were. Oh yeah. 23. You were 22. I was 23. Yeah. Babies. Uh Straight up babies. We didn't know nothing. We did not know a thing, which is. Is so crazy. And we thought we loved each other, which mm-hmm. we did. As much as we could. But now 17 years later, I just think, oh my gosh. So 20s, I feel like, and when I say wasted, that doesn't have anything to do with you or our life. I just feel like I didn't really, I don't think I knew who I was or yeah. what I was doing. What you wanted to do, who yeah. you wanted to be. And then in my 30s, I think I did a lot of finding out myself. We brought our kids home from Haiti. 
um, in our thirties. And so we did a lot of hard parenting years and I started working in my thirties, you know, so like thirties have been awesome. Forties, I look forward to them so much. You're feeling good about forties. Good. I feel amazing. Why? Because I feel like I'm in a little bit of a groove. Like I feel like I'm just getting started mm-hmm. and I honestly can't wait to see what the next 10 years hold uh, for a lot of reasons. From a career standpoint, for sure. Um, from a parenting stand, I mean, the next 10 years are crucial at our house. Yeah, because I all mean, of our kids are going to be gone out of the house in eight eight years. Which is crazy, sad, and exciting. Like, you know, it's all everything. the things. Yeah. It's everything. It's all those yeah. things. I think you're going to rock your 40s too. And I'm really excited to see what's going to come of it because you wrote your first book, um, you know, when you're 39 Mm -hmm. and this definitely will not be your last book. So it'll be interesting to see all the things that you create, because I do think that you've landed in this really great confidence and confidence in who you are, confidence in your gifting, in your ability to use your voice. So I'm excited to see what's going to come. If you, if you had to kind of call it right now, what do you think your next book will actually be about? That's kind of a tough question. I can't believe you threw that at me. You're welcome. You know, I don't really know. I don't. Um, a lot of people are like, are you going to write a book about parenting? Uh, no. Uh, there are mm-hmm. like a lot of really mm-hmm. smart people that no, should write those. Books. Books yeah, we parenting. read those. I, I want to keep encouraging women. I want to keep telling stories. And so that I don't even know what's next, but mm-hmm. I'm going to write this summer. Well, I know that whatever you end up writing will be um, encouraging, inspiring, vulnerable. That seems to be kind of the trend of what you're doing right now. All right. This this question is not about your, your book. Okay. Um, okay, good. Right. I'm ready for it. Bring <laughs> you, me something else. You feel like you're kind of off the... Uh-huh. And you made me cry. Out of the hot seat and, now. Yeah. I did make you cry. I didn't make you cry, but I am kind of proud of myself. Thank you. <laughs> you know? Are you going to start your own show after this? I, I, I was thinking about it. <laughs> I do podcast coaching. So um, so we showed our kids Dumb and Dumber last night. We sure did. You want to you wanna talk about kind of what the what the mixed reviews were from our kids? Amos liked it. Amos loved uh-huh. it. You and I quoted a lot of it. I hadn't seen that movie in probably... Forever. Five, seven years, eight years. It came out years, our junior years. year of high school. I think 95. No, that'll make you feel old. Yeah, exactly. But this happens to us a lot where like... You know, the scene where he has like two pairs of gloves on. <laughs> He's like, oh, you need a pair of gloves? I've got two on. Uh-huh. Please take one of mine. That happens a lot to us because <laughs> right. I feel like there's several moments where you have something, you have double of something and I'm desperately in You're need. Like, uh, and duh, it's the Rockies. <laughs> yes. I love that movie was awesome. There's another thing that we quote from that movie all the time when we say our pets heads are falling off. Yes. Yeah. And most of the time our kids are looking at us like, what are what you, you why are you both yeah. saying something at the same time? Uh-huh. What are you talking yeah. about? Let's talk about the movies we've seen recently. Um, we saw two movies in one day. We had yeah. a double hitter. Uh-huh. Did you say a double hitter? Is it a double header or a double hitter? It's a double header. Like you play two games back to back. Okay. So we, we saw a double header. Yeah. Uh, the Shape of Water. Right. I think I've already, I think next week and next week's guest, I'm going to talk about these a little bit. So just be ready. But Shape of Water, I did not like it. And I think, didn't it win? Uh, what have we already had? Uh, we Golden Globe. It didn't, it's up for a ton of Oscars. Yeah. Yep. I told my friend Amanda today, because she texted, said, did you hate it that much? And I said, here's what I think about The Shape of Water. I appreciate the artwork in it. I appreciate the cinematography. 
I can appreciate all that stuff. The story did not move me. You, there was nothing moving to you about a woman falling in love with the sea monster? No, absolutely not. There was no part of you that was like, oh my gosh. No, I didn't feel what that woman felt. Like, I felt what she felt. No, I felt more when Belle fell in love with the beast than I did. No. Yes, no, 100%. No, it was a cartoon. It moved me more. A cartoon moved you more than, than The Shape of Water. This film that's going to win all kinds of Oscars yes. and Golden Globes. Yes. But you didn't feel anything. No. Let's do a disclaimer. You figure out if you should go see the movie or not. Like, check out uh, Common Sense. Common Sense. Com yeah. And then close your eyes at one scene. Maybe two. Oh, I only closed my eyes during one. So. Was it when she was making out with the sea monster? <laughs> That's so weird to me. Okay, so we saw The Shape of War. Oh, look, I'm taking control. You, you are taking control. I know, go I want to go back to this. It's your show. Why did you not feel something for her? Because everybody else that saw the movie, everybody, factually, I just Googled it, everybody, 100% of people. Well, I know you're making that fact up, and I just think that there are some people that didn't like it. In fact, Amanda just texted me. Let's see if she talked about the movie. Oh, they're heading to it right now. Mm. I just didn't like it. Okay. You you were entitled to that. The other movie we saw was Downsizing. <sighs> Don't go see it. Now, we did see two hard movies in one day. Yeah. Neither one of them were home runs, mm -mm. just to keep the sports analogy no. going. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And it's easier for you to understand if yes. you're keeping the sport, yeah. sport language. Uh -huh. But you didn't like Downsizing either. No, I like the first part of it. About 40 minutes into it, we uh -huh. both looked at each other and said, this movie's incredible. Uh -huh. And then minute 41, we looked at each other and we said, where are we what going? is going on? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not a screenwriter, but I think I could have written a better storyline than where they took that movie. Hmm. Yeah. It did kind of jump the shark, if you will. Mm, look at you. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to see I, Tanya. I want to see that very, very badly, partly because Tanya's mom in the film. Uh -huh. She's one of my favorite actresses. From the West Wing. Yes. Yeah. I want to see that, and I want to see the press. Yeah. No, the post. The post. The post. Well, we need a date night. Uh, we have been really consistent with date nights for the last 17 years of our marriage until the last, I'd say the last year, mm -hmm. partly because of you writing a book and- Middle um, schoolers. Having middle schoolers and me writing a book and life yeah. being crazy, but we need, a, we need a date night. Can I ask you a question, even though I'm not in charge of this? Um, yeah, I will allow that to happen. Here's something that I get a lot in my interviews. So since you're here, I'll let you speak for yourself. A lot of times people are asked me, you write about some hard stuff, you know, things that happened before you met your husband, things that happened before you knew Jesus, things that happened after you knew Jesus, chapter nine. People want to know, how does Aaron handle this? How does Aaron feel with you being vulnerable about struggles and that kind of thing? Well, none of this is new. So I think somebody even asked a question on, on your Facebook page. Um, was there anything in here that your husband didn't know yet? Of course not. Oh my gosh, people, no. Of course not. Because we have the kind of relationship and friendship where hopefully vulnerability is always going to start with you and I and not going to be like a big surprise at some point. Um, and so there's nothing in here that was surprising to me. I wasn't even surprised by your vulnerability because that, that is not just something that you preach, but it's, it is the way that you live. You are that kind of sounding voice for people, for your friends, for your community to be able to say anything without you judging them. So no, there was nothing that was a surprise to me. This book really captures like who you are, the way that you live. So you telling your story is really just a natural part of like, how you live your your life, you know? And I'm really proud of that. I'm proud that you are that kind of person because I can see that that's something that God's done 
in you to give you that kind of confidence and ability to share your story like that, you know? So it doesn't embarrass you that someone re- reads that your wife tried to look at porn one night when you were out of town? It doesn't embarrass me at all, no. Mm-mm. Because truthfully, the number of wives, spouses that do, that are tempted by that or do and never tell anybody is such a larger number, you know? So the fact that you were honest about it doesn't make me embarrassed. It makes me really proud of you. Yeah. See, that makes me cry too. I wasn't even trying that time. But it's true as well. I think that's a big struggle too. When you think about sins such as that, that is a, it's a sexual sin, first of all. Um, and it's also pretty looked down upon, you know, especially for a woman to say that out loud. I think part of what I want this book to be as well is for people to say, you know, when someone brings that to the table and they say that to me, how I react really matters. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you have an adequate view that we all have things in our life, mm-hmm. then there's no way you can look at someone and say, golly, how could you do that? Or that's really gross. Or you should keep that to yourself, you know? And I think sexual sin like pornography is really difficult inside of marriages to confess. Yeah. Very difficult. And praise God, it's not a struggle that either one of us are, it's got a hold on us. Like Mm -hmm. I do know Mm -hmm. in some of our friends' lives. And so, um, but I think just having that knowing that you can bring stuff to the table and that you can say things and that you're not going to be thought of as less than, um, is really, really valuable inside relationships. Yeah. Especially so for somebody listening, hearing you say that and feeling a, you know, a little bit of nudge to actually be honest with somebody, how do they do that? Um, I hope you see, I hope you hear in my voice that it's hard, that it's not like, oh, this is easy. Just go tell a friend you want to meet for coffee and just lay it on the table and then mm-hmm. get up and leave and hug and everything's cool. Um, you know, I think with certain things in our life, it's a lot harder to do that. Um, but I think I always say this is to find someone that you trust so much that you know that they love God more than they love you. And I feel that with my community and and with you is that I think that when I confess, when I say a struggle, the, my people that I've surrounded myself with, they love God more than they love me. So they're not going to coddle my sin. They're not going to be like, Jamie, listen, it's okay that you yelled at your kid. Just pour yourself a glass of wine. You get a new day tomorrow. Right. And again, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I just need a little bit of a break for a minute. There's, that's not wrong. But what's wrong is when it stops there. And so you need to find friends who are going to say like, man, I know you've had a hard day. Your kid's really hard right now. I get that and I see that. Man, what are you not believing to be true about yourself and about God that you're having, that these emotions are coming up? And that can sound churchy. And here's the deal is, if I don't know you and you come preaching that at me, mm-hmm. I don't like it. Yeah. But if we have a relationship where I have invited you into my world, then when you say that, I'm going to listen. It means something. It means something. Mm-hmm. It means something to me. Um, and so I have found people in my life that I I welcome that. And it may be hard, but I listen to them and they point me to Jesus. So find that safe friend. Find someone that you know you're going to say it out loud and they're going to hold your story so kindly and gently and just... They're going to take it serious, yeah. you know? And so find that. And here's the deal. We've all been hurt. We've all been hurt by people not handling our stories well Mm -hmm. and our our confessions and our struggles. 
but it's worth trying again. It's yeah. worth trying again. Yeah. And I say it in the book, if you, if you go to a church where you've never heard anyone in leadership confess to a struggle, then you need to find a new church. Mm-hmm. You need to find a new church. Yeah. Well, you are modeling all that really well. I love that this is not a book where you're just preaching something that you're not actually living. So thanks, babe. Thanks for, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. I think that you have been my favorite guest I've ever had <laughs> on my show. Is this, um, am I your first person to ever interview? No. No, I mean, like, on a show. You don't have a show. Uh, no, I don't have a podcast, but, I mean, I've interviewed people, like, on a stage, like, live kind of thing. That's true. But this is my first time to ever host a podcast. Let's not a- get too carried away. I mean, I'm still the host. <laughs> I have a guest host for the day. Right. Well, thanks for letting me do it, though, for real. And, again, I'm super proud of you. You're an amazing woman. You're a beautiful woman, radiant. You were doing such great things. And uh, I'll say if um, if I can, I am for sure your biggest fan. Oh, Hopefully I know there's you are. No, no other fan, no matter how crazy they are, that outfans me. Nope, I'm just nobody. super proud of you and this book. If um, if you don't already have the book, you can go to ifyouonlyknewbook.net to read all about the book. You can even get some excerpts and some images to post on your own social media platforms that would help promote Jamie's book. So Jamie, thanks for letting me interview today. Thanks, babe. Okay, guys, don't forget, for a healthy, delicious snack that lets your kids explore, play, and be their best, you've got to go try Go-Go Squeeze. Go-Go Squeeze is made from 100% all-natural fruit with no artificial anything. Nothing but orchard fresh apples and other wholesome fruit, all in a squeezable pouch that's ready to go wherever they go. There's over 25 tasty varieties kids will love, and you can feel great about them too. Go-Go Squeeze, fruit on the go pouches. Find them in the applesauce aisle today. Guys, wasn't that a great chat with my wife, Jamie Ivey? Incredible time hanging out with her in her office and getting to ask her questions about her incredible book. You need to go check out the book right now, ifyouonlyknewbook.net. You want to buy this book. This isn't a book that you just want to kind of hear about, but it's one that you want to go buy. So please go get you one of them right now. Okay, wait, I'm still here. Can I just say, I'm super impressed with the way you showed up for this interview today. I showed up ready. My suit and tie on. Okay, my, my JT. On. My Fabletics. Your Fabletics. Uh, you know, I live in leggings, and so this makes my life. You actually do. I know. In fact, the other day, I was getting dressed in the morning, and you said, are you going to work out? And I was like, uh, nope, it's just what <laughs> I wear. Uh, but I'm super impressed with the way you came to this show ready. Thank you. Okay, Thank dude, you finish, finish up the rest. Today's show was edited by Chris with Podshaper, and the music was developed by my boy, Matt Graham. And it's good music, it's too. Good. He did a good job. Next week... Jamie's guest is Candace Payne. Remember the mom that bought the Chewbacca mask and put up a video on Facebook that went viral? It was incredible. Do you remember that? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, that's her. And she came by the studio recently and Jamie and her got to chat. You will absolutely love her interview. Guys, enjoy your week. Share this show with a girlfriend and have a happy hour with a friend. Bye, guys. See you next week. 